talk for several hours um, over a Friday night and Saturday morning about what's next for our church. And we got real, we talked about numbers, we talked about attendance, we talked about engagement, we talked about leadership. Um, here's the thing though, uh, our goal is not to get people into a building on Sunday morning and you're like, oh great, now you tell me, now that I'm here. Uh, the goal is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to drive everything that we do. So how does that happen? For us, in light of the mission and strategy that we have chosen to lean into, it means a number of things. It means getting people into a room to worship together. It means getting people into small group environments where they can make a more significant connection with one another. It means getting people off the sidelines and into a serving role, volunteering. It means helping people learn how to give and why that's important. And it means encouraging people to invite other people. That's what we really want to do. We're calling those four things our engagement pathway. So you want to know how to really connect with the mission of faith community. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you're, you aren't sure what your next steps are. Uh, we're going to talk about your next steps. That's what we're talking about this morning. So from this day forward, until further notice, this is the pathway, the pathway to engagement. And along this pathway to engagement, uh, we're... There are at least four, but we've boiled it down to four for today. We're going to call them on-ramps. And I know the metaphor between pathway and on-ramps isn't really a connection, but go with me. We're trying to make this as clear, as concise, as simple, as well thought through, and as memorable as we can. It's important that the process is memorable so that we kind of know where we're at and what's next for us so we can remember where the on-ramps are. Uh, we want to uh, get this pathway and specifically these four words into every nook and cranny of our church life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together today. Thank you for the time spent over coffee and around tables today. Um, thank you for the opportunity to, to just catch up with one another. We ask you now to lead in our, the rest of our service, guide through this teaching time. May your Holy Spirit have his way in us. Um, pray that the message be communicated clearly. And then as in our ministry to kids today, that you would... Uh, just work through our, our teams in there to pour into the lives of our kids. And as we come together as a church to worship in a few minutes, to worship through music, God, I pray that uh, your name would be lifted up. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I kind of gotten into a bit of a pattern where a couple times a year we talk about church-related stuff, stuff for the, our church family. And I also got into a pattern of creating a video that I put online to tell you that's what's coming. That was my intention this week. Didn't happen. So I'm just going to tell you right now, this is our church family talk for the fall. All right? So if you're here and you're like, well, I'm, not, I'm just here today. I don't know why I'm here. Somebody dragged me here and said there would be breakfast and there was muffins. But, uh, and, or or you're, you're here checking it out or you're on vacation and you took some time to be with us today. Um, I hope you'll just kind of bear with us a little bit and there might be something here that God can use to speak to you and encourage you. We're going to break this down, talk about each of the four, these four things on our, on our pathway to engagement. So on-ramp number one, let's dive in. On-ramp number one is connect. It's just connect. There are always things in the life of the church that Pastor Bob and I wish we uh, could just press a button. You remember, you remember Staples' easy button? Remember that? If we could just press that and make it happen. And there's some things that if we could just press a magical button and everybody would automatically experience it. 
I wish all of you could experience what it is to pour into the life of a child in our children's ministries. And if you've never done life in the children's ministry in the church, I want to challenge you right now to give some consideration to that. Because if you're like, well, I'm not really a, a kid person, I would encourage you to become a kid person. Uh, I took a job about 20 years ago at the YMCA, and I'm like, well, I don't know why you're asking me to come observe in this environment. I'm not a kid person, and I stayed for six years because God was making me into a kid person. Uh, so I want to challenge you with that. And then uh, if, if, we could just ha- if we could press a button, you could have that experience with our kids, to sit with them in small groups like they're going to do today, and then to see them take steps in following Jesus, maybe even get baptized, and know that you had a part in that. I wish all of you could share in the experience that some of us have had, Alethea and I had, in hosting and leading a small group in our home for over 20 years. A place where we could grapple with questions and tough passages of scripture and biblical principles that are sometimes hard to implement and to walk with our friends through times uh, that were tough and to celebrate with our friends in the good times. I wish you could experience that. I wish I could press a button and you could experience that. I wish we could all be open-handed to God with everything that we possess. I wish we had a church full of people whose possessions did not possess them. Can you imagine the wave of generosity that would sweep over our community if that were true? Some of my wishes. But the thing I want to talk about uh, today, if I could just push a magical button, one of the things that would be true of us is that you would be in some sort of intentional biblical community. Some sort of intentional, maybe structured, often that's what we need because we're humans and we need that, uh, biblical community with other followers of Jesus doing life together so that as things come along, good things, bad things, things to celebrate, things to encourage each other, I, I would just push a button and place everyone into meaningful relationships with other believers. I wish we could just see that happen instantly. Over the years at Faith Community, we've, uh, we've created and experimented with all kinds of, of environments, with small groups in homes. How many of you have ever been a part of a small group in a home that's re- connection to a church somehow? Okay. Uh, we've done men's ministries, women's ministries, 20s and 30s groups, all kinds of environments where we can get smaller than we are here on Sunday. Because I'm convinced that as great as Sunday morning is, and we put, we put a lot of emphasis, believe it or not, on this setting. Like, we put a lot of thought into this environment. Your pastors and the worship band and the children's ministry leaders put a lot of preparation into the Sunday morning experience. And as important, as important and as great as we believe this environment is, the truth is, we are still convinced that circles are better than rows. If you've been there and experienced it, you know circles are better than rows. Here's what Jesus had to say in Luke chapter 17. He, said, he says this to his disciples. He says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Been there? Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. So what he's saying is, let me just give you a heads up, guys. Eventually, you're going to stumble over something. You're going to stumble over something. And when you stumble over something... It's mostly because you didn't see it, right? If I were to ask all of you to make your way up to the podium today, about 10% of you would stumble on your way because there's a little raised thing here that a lot of people don't see because we painted it the same color as the floor, which wasn't very good thinking. But uh, the, You stumble over things you don't see. Jesus says, I've got to give you a heads up. As you go through life, things that cause people to stumble, things that will potentially cause you to stumble, they're just going to be there. They're going to get in your way. And Jesus is talking about those things, those desires, those relationships, those, whatever it happens to be, that blindside us. And the next thing we know, something's happened to our faith. 
Next thing we know, something's happened to our intimacy with God. Next thing we know, we're still coming to church most of the time, but we're not quite as involved as we used to be. Next thing we know, our heart's not really in it. Next thing we know, it's been months since we've read our Bible. Next thing we know, it's been months since we've really prayed, you know, anything beyond, you know, God, get me out of this mess. Really prayed. The thing I want you to hear today is as smart as you are and as mature as you are, as knowledgeable as you are about the Bible, as involved as you are in stuff around church, as spiritual as you think you might be, in spite of all of that, do you think it's possible that there's something out there that could cause you to stumble out of a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it possible? Is there anything out there that could cause you to stumble away from what you currently embrace? Do you think there's anything out there that would cause you to stumble away from your values or away from the things that you're committed to? Now, honestly, it doesn't really matter how you just answered that in your own mind because the answer is yes. And the reason I say that is because that's what Jesus said. Do you think there are things that could be set in front of your middle schoolers and your high schoolers, your teenagers, your young adult children that could cause them to stumble away from their faith, to stumble away from their values, to stumble away from the things that you've tried to teach them? Do you think it's possible? You're like, oh, well, yeah, that's possible. Here's why this is so important. It's easy to stumble out of church. Because Sunday morning uh, church is an attendance thing. Most of us can probably tell a story about a stage in our lives when we stumble out of church. How many of you could identify with that at some point? And uh, again, we're not trying not to judge you too bad right now. But uh, yeah, and the ones who aren't putting their hands up might be there right now. But you just happen to be here because there's muffins. It's easy to stumble out of church. I've seen good things cause people to stumble out of Sunday church. That extra shift at work. The lake is calling. Youth sports. Work. Camp. School. Work. Family obligations. Work. It's so easy. It's even easy to stumble out of belief. Some misinformation, a bad experience, too many distractions, the wrong influences. It's easy to stumble out of your personal relationship with God. Well, I don't read my Bible as much as I used to. I don't pray as much as I used to. I don't go to church as much as I used to. I don't serve as much as I used to. Here's the thing. It is almost impossible to stumble out of community. It's almost impossible to stumble out of relationship with like-minded, connected people who are doing life together. And you're praying together. And you're asking difficult questions together and of each other. You're in God's word together. I'm telling you, it is next to impossible to stumble out of that because it's relational and people are paying attention to what's going on in your life. That's why we want you to be connected. Because the best preparation you can make for the inevitability of stumbling blocks is to be connected relationally. Because you can stumble out of church attendance on Sundays. You can stumble out of your quiet time. You can stumble out of an attitude of worship. You can stumble out of some spiritual disciplines. You can stumble relationally in your marriage with your kids, with your parents, with your coworkers, with your extended family. You can stumble in all these areas. But it is next to impossible to stumble away from biblical community when you are connected to other Christ followers in a significant, meaningful way. So what we really want for you is to be connected, for you to have significant, growing connections with other Christ followers. It doesn't really matter where or how that happens. It just matters that it happens and that it's meaningful and that it's growing 
and that the relationship revolves around Jesus. So we're working on fleshing out some ideas uh, for what that means for us next, uh, what exactly that might look like in the next few weeks and months. Because what if we could create environments with, where real relationships with God and with each other could grow every time we're together? What if all kinds of people could gather in these environments to hear inspiring stories and engage in conversation on a regular basis? What if we gathered with one another to discuss relevant topics, topics that are relevant to our lives, spend lots of time in some guided conversation, experience some spiritual aha moments that connect God to our everyday lives? What if? So I hope you'll give this some serious consideration. Um, I hope you'll talk with your spouse and your family because I, I know you're busy, I get it. Figure out where you can carve out enough time. Because you have the time. Figure out where you can carve out some time in your calendar so you can make meaningful relational connection in a small group a priority for you and your family. And as we explore this with some intentionality over the next few weeks as we kind of work through the holiday season and then into the new year, I hope you'll be a part of the conversation. I welcome that. We're going to get to work at kind of reimagining what small groups look like and reinventing and creating some environments where we can connect with God and experience Him, where we can meet some practical needs in our community, where we can provide fellow Christ followers with meaningful ministry opportunities and maybe in the process even close the back door of the church. Oh, did I tell you? We have an agenda for your life. Just I want to be open with you. Okay? I have a... We want you in circles. Circles are better than rows, and we want you in circles. Because it's in circles, in your living room, in a friend's living room, around your kitchen table, around the fire pit, over coffee, on the golf course, in the boat. You get the idea. It's in circles that significant connections are made. And when stumbling blocks are placed in front of you in your path, when you're you're down, you're going to want someone there to help you up. You're going to want someone there to warn you of the stumbling block. So that's on-ramp number one to this pathway of engagement is connect. On-ramp number two is serve. Here's the thing about the church. The church was designed to be primarily a volunteer organization. Men and women, young and old, offering their gifts in pursuit of a God-given mission. Jesus made um, an intentional decision when he invited Peter, James, John, and the other guys to help him spread the good news of the kingdom. He could have, and you think about it, he could have built his kingdom in other ways. He could have remained a solo act and probably been perfectly fine. He could have required that his, his followers attend a few years of some Bible college or seminary before getting involved. But instead, he chose to accomplish his work primarily on the shoulders of ordinary people who live in the real world of family and business and community. And he believed that the same skills that were used to make clay pots and to herd livestock and to bake bread and to catch fish and to make tents could be used to advance the kingdom of God. Over the years, I've heard a lot. I've been in church a long time. And over the years, I've heard a lot of great servants of God describe themselves as just a volunteer. You should probably talk to the pastor about that because I'm just a volunteer. So before I say another word, I want to make something really clear. The term just a volunteer should have no place in our vocabulary. This church as we know it would not exist without dozens of volunteers. And whether God has blessed you with 40 hours a week of discretionary time or whether you can barely scratch together a couple hours a month from your overloaded schedule, you have the potential to make a difference right here in our corner of the world. So what do you have to offer? Uh, More than you probably think. 
You have gifts and talents that you're born with. Oh, well, not me. Yeah. You have passions that inspire you. You have some education and experience. You have skills that you fine-tune. You have pain that's deepened you. These are powerful tools for good that God has lavished on you. Why? So that we can lavish that goodness and grace on others. So we, we all want to live lives of purpose, yeah? We want to give ourselves to a worthy cause. And then I want to challenge you. You've heard me say this before, and I'm just going to kind of keep saying it. I want to challenge you to drape a serving towel over your arm. In the Gospel of John in chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples were meeting for dinner. And the foot washer didn't show up. Remember the story? In that time and place when people walked in sandals, if you called them that, down dirty, dusty roads with all, anyway, they were dirty. And they reclined at low tables with their feet not far from the faces of other guests. Custom required that a servant at the door should wash their dirty feet. But not so in this particular evening. Something went wrong, the foot washer didn't show up. So just imagine you're standing behind a pane of glass watching this whole scene play out. The first disciple enters the room and he discovers that he's the first one there. And there's no foot washer. Suddenly for him it's decision time. Does he wash his own feet? Does he take off his garment and become like a rank-and-file servant and wash everyone else's feet? From behind this pane of glass, look into his eyes. He's thinking, well, not me. That's not my job. I'm not a servant. I'm not a foot washer. Instead, he tries to size up where he thinks Jesus is going to sit, and he chooses an advantageous power position at the table. Second disciple enters and realizes there's no foot washer and his friend's already seated at the table. And well, he thinks, if he's not going to stoop to the level of foot washer, neither am I. And he steps towards the second best seat in the house. And as we're standing behind this glass watching all the disciples do the same thing, they file in, they walk past the water basin, they choose the best remaining seat at the table, and they recline and they stink, they stink, yeah, they stick their stinky, dirty feet in each other's faces. And I think maybe on purpose, finally Jesus arrives. Finally. Watch him, watch. He looks at the water. He looks at the filthy feet of the disciples. And I think you could see it in his eyes. Three years. Day after day. Sermon after sermon. Teaching after teaching. Illustration after illustration. Parable after parable. Confrontation after confrontation. Can you see it? I think it looks a lot like disappointment. He walks to the table and he reclines and he just sits there in silence. Maybe somebody will at least have the humility to wash the feet of their teacher. But nobody moves. Watch him. He gets up from the table and he walks to the water basin and he starts to take off his outer garment. And carefully, he picks up the towel, and he slips it through his belt exactly the way a common servant would. And he pours water into the basin. Now look at the eyes of the disciples. Disbelief. Embarrassment. And as Jesus begins to wash the feet of that first disciple, I think you see something deeper in their eyes. It looks like agony. Regret. Maybe tears. 
What is the matter with me? How did I miss this? My whole world, it's like it revolves around me. It's bad enough I wasn't humble enough to wash my brother's feet, but I wouldn't even wash the Messiah's feet. How, how could I have missed this? And Jesus circles the table, and he gets to Peter, and Peter resists for a minute, of course, but Jesus knows how to handle Peter. And when he's finished his task, he folds the towel, and he puts it back, and he slips on his robe, and he walks back to the table, and he reclines. Then he says this, John chapter 13, verse 12. I'm going to read a few verses. He says this, words of Jesus. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here's the deal. Following Jesus into radical servanthood is the sure pathway to fullness in life. I'm just going to let that sit there for a second. Sooner or later, everybody has to decide whether you're going to lean into a self-centered lifestyle or a Jesus model of servanthood. So I want to encourage you this morning, grab a serving towel, because here's something I've discovered about volunteering in the church, that serving energy builds when we see lives transformed. Serving energy builds as we see transformation in the lives of those we're serving. I love these verses. This is God's vision for the church, and we come back to this pretty regularly And because I believe we're just called back to this passage over and over again in Acts chapter 2. This is the essence of the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. says, these are the first days of the church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, aren't you glad, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Wow. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And because the church was living this way, because all of this was true of them, says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When the church functioned right, God entrusted people to the church. So now you may be wondering, okay, so what do I do with this? I'm still trying to get around, what do I do with the connect thing? What do I do with this? I feel like I need to act on something here. What can I do? I would love to talk with you about that. Like most Sundays, I'm going to stay right here after the message and after the worship time is done and the music's done and the last song is played, I'm going to hang right here. Come talk with me. If you're ready to jump in, start serving in the church, maybe join a team that's serving somewhere. Get involved in a ministry team. Where our, our quarter just started, but we'll, you know what? Here's what happens is like every 13, 13 weeks, there's a new quarter that starts. And we'll start with brand new schedules in the first part of January. So we have some help wanted forms that are almost always available out there in the lobby showing all the opportunities to serve on teams at Faith Community. They're available to pick it up there in the Welcome Center after we dismiss. So pick one up. Talk it over with your spouse or with your family. Figure out where, where you can carve out the time. Bring it back to us next week and leave it in the basket there. We'll have a conversation. Let me just offer this challenge for you if you're already volunteering. Because you know what? The majority of you are already volunteering. Our goal here is 100% participation. <laughs> that's our goal. You're like, well, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. But that's our goal. And uh, when we just did our schedules uh, in October, I believe we had, if the numbers are right, it was like 84 people serving in 110 different slots. 
and that, that's, just, that's just ministry teams that have to, the things that have to happen to make this happen on the weekend. So um, we're so grateful for that. But let me, just, let me just offer a challenge to those of you who are already volunteering, okay? You're like kind of, you're kind of checked out here because you're like been there, been doing that for years. You know, tell me something new, Todd. If you've been serving in the same capacity for a while, but you and I both know you're capable of more, you have other gifts that could be offered to the mission of the church. You have availability, you have creativity, you have insight, you have leadership skills. Listen, first of all, we're totally fine with you continuing to serve on kind of an entry-level team. I've had some of these conversations recently. That's totally fine. In fact, I encourage that if it means that you're working at bringing serving newbies onto your team and you're mentoring them. That's cool. You're training them, you're connecting with them, you're building relationships with them. Um, I just want to challenge you to also think about jumping in somewhere else. Try something new, something that's a fresh challenge. Because we really, really, really want to start some small, more small group environments in the new year, and some of you are more than capable. You have the benefit of years of experience. I know who you are. You have the, you have the benefit of, of all just a great, solid knowledge of Scripture. You've been in leadership in other settings. You have hospitality gifts. You have a home that would be great for a small group. So let me just say this. Imagine... Imagine what would happen if dozens of people decided to, to devote just a few hours each week to generate a wave of good works that would put faith into action and spread goodwill and alleviate suffering. Imagine that. Imagine if every church in our community was suddenly inundated with enthusiastic, skilled, uh, loving volunteers who plan, serve, and pray to see a bit more of heaven happening here on earth. Imagine that. All that's needed is a ragtag group of spirited, towel-bearing servants who believe that it can happen and are willing to take the first step. So my challenge is do something somewhere now. Do something somewhere now. I'm pretty sure there's an air of service right in this church with your name written all over it. On ramp number three, because that was getting a little uncomfortable. I get it. So we're going to Lighten it up a little bit. On route number three, give. So every, every pastor's favorite topic to talk about and every church member's favorite topic to sit and listen to. Uh, let me just, let me just uh, ask you this. How many of you ever shop at Walmart in Ellsworth, ever? No, I, really, I want to see. How many of you shop at Walmart in Ellsworth? Okay. If you don't, you should because we've got a ton of people in our church who, who work at Walmart and we should support them. And uh, we should go and just be a smiling face of encouragement to them every once in a while. And you might find that they are that to you. Um, and it's really cool when you use the Walmart app and I search, like, Garth. <laughs> it takes me right to Garth Brooks in the, where the CDs are. But anyway, um, they got some work to do on that. They're in transition. They're renovating, so they haven't got that quite right yet. But... Uh, how many of you are enjoying the changes at Walmart? Now, if you, were, if you are a Walmart employee, please don't answer. You're, you're tr strictly a customer. How many of you are enjoying the, the changes at Walmart? I'm just curious. No, I don't have, I'm not asking how many of you don't like the changes. I'm asking how many of you do like the changes at Walmart. How many of you do? Two of us. Okay, cool. Um, there's a reason I bring this up. Because do you think, now, Craig, have you heard any complaints about any changes at Walmart? No, you hide from those people. Uh, I know, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, and Chris, I know you probably, you're not very, like, in a visible place where people can ever see you or anything, so, and you would never have that, they would never complain to you either. But, uh, 
I've heard complaints. I've heard people in our church complain about what's going on at Walmart in their renovation. Can I just, can I just challenge you with, uh, with something about a paradigm here? Why do you think Walmart is making these changes? To make your life miserable? <laughs> to screw with your shopping routine? Why do you think they're making these changes? Well, okay, but how are they going to make money? By retaining customers and by attracting new customers. There's one word for why they're doing what they're doing. It starts with an A, ends with an N, has a Z in the middle. Amazon, Amazon exactly. <laughs> Walmart's still the number one retailer in the world for now, for now. And they know without making changes, that's, they're done with that. Yeah, it's about money. Of course it is. But it's not just like, we're all about leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus. But it's not like, come on in and give your heart to Jesus. That doesn't attract people any more than come to Walmart and leave us your money. They have to provide a service. And they have to, provide, they have to meet some expectations. Here's the deal. As long as we are quick to complain about things in our own community that change... I served as a community liaison for a couple construction projects, road construction projects in Ellsworth. Remember the high street widening? Remember that? Yeah. You don't, really? I mean, the one like 15 years ago, not the one back in the 40s. But uh, <laughs> I got to be the point person on, of all the complaints on that. Um, as long as we are in a mode of complaining about things that change in our community because culture, I don't know what's going on, I don't know why we need to do this, and I can't find anything, it took me 12 extra seconds to find my whatever. That mi mindset mentality finds its way into the church. If it's true of us in general, it will be true of us in the church. Oh, you did have a point, you weren't just ranting, yeah. Can I just tell you something? I, you just need to know this up front, because if you're fairly new to us, or this is your first Sunday, and you're like, what in the world is happening here? Yeah, I know, sorry. Uh, <laughs> please come back next week. It'll be back to normal. Uh, or, or maybe you've been here for a while, and you're like, I'm not sure this is right for me. I just, you just need to know this right now. We are doing what we're doing the way that we're doing it for the sake of people who aren't here yet. And you get that. You realize it's not about you. And if we're going to continue to reach people in our community, we're going to need more and more of us to set aside our preferences, to set aside our tastes, to set aside our insider way of doing things. We need you to keep buying into new ways, new methods, new approaches, new priorities for the sake of the mission that God has called us to. It's so easy to approach church with a consumer mentality. It's kind of like the difference between renting a house and owning a house. How have you ever made that transition in your life? Yeah, that's an eye-opener, isn't it? When you're renting a house or an apartment and the furnace breaks down or the roof starts to leak, you get on the phone and you call the landlord, the man behind the curtain, because it's the landlord's problem. And I'm not going to pay next month's rent until it's fixed. But then when you are, you're chasing the American dream and you finally have everything that God intended for you to have and you now own your own house and you have a mortgage that's in your name, let's put it that way. When you're an owner, the problem is yours. 
you don't get to hand the problem off to someone else. You don't get to pack up your things and move to the next place because now you're responsible because you're the owner. In this church right now, we need you to think like an owner. Be an owner. If you've been here more than a couple months, set aside your renter's mentality and think of yourself as an owner. Here's the thing. When people get disappointed with their church experience, because that happens apparently, so I've read, uh, and people get disappointed with their church experience or you know, with their pastor, which is really hard to believe, they just kind of disappear but what you find out later is they've kind of just uprooted and they moved on to the next church in town just down the street without ever offering to be part of a solution. That's doing church with a renter's mentality because there's no ownership. There's no sense of personal responsibility. There's no buy-in. So I'm telling you, we need to buy in. We need you to put your roots down. We need you to engage with one another here and outside this setting. We need you to get involved and to volunteer. We need you to invest your time and your creativity. And and we need you to support this ministry financially. See where God is moving and be a part of it. If we're going to continue to be healthy, if we're going to continue to reach your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors, that's what we want to do. If we're going to continue to be a place where unchurched people feel welcome and loved and cared for, then listen, we need for a higher percentage of us, of us, of our congregation, to support this church financially. So we need you to show ownership by giving your money. And you're like, there it is, I knew it was coming. That's right, churches get electricity for free. That's right. I know you'd like to turn the heat on, but... It's part of my illustration today. I'm going to make them purposely cold. It's quite... <laughs> You like heat? (laughs) I honestly wish I'd thought of that. (laughs) And I have about two lights on, maybe a candle. Um, Listen to what the worship team sounds like without the sound system on. See whether you like that. It's quite possible, listen, that there are some people, I'm glad you're with me. It's quite possible there are some people in our church who have been a part of our church who have never given a cent to this church. It's quite possible. Maybe you don't fully understand what we need the money for. Maybe no one's ever explained that to you. We own that. Maybe you've never been taught the principle, the biblical principle of the tithe. Maybe you've never been taught biblical principles of managing your money in a way that's honoring to God. Maybe you don't think you have the money to give. Maybe you don't think our mission is worth giving to. Here's the thing. Across the country, the national trend is that church income is declining. That's a national trend. Thankfully, in here in northern New England, we're always on the tail end of national trends, so that's not true for us yet. But we want to avoid this trend if we can. So I really want to challenge you with this. If you don't give regularly right now, I want to challenge you to just give something. Start somewhere. Start today. Start with something. Because something is more than nothing. So start there. Then do it regularly. Because a one-time gift isn't that helpful. Sorry, I don't mean to be offensive. You only say that when you're saying something offensive. But a one-time gift isn't that helpful because we can't budget on that. So start with something and then do it regularly. You can drop a check or even cash. We will still take cash. You can do that in the boxes in the lobby. You can give online. Man, I really encourage you to do that. If you use a Bible app event, Just follow the link at the bottom, jump right down there right now if you want to. 
You can set up a recurring donation on there if that's helpful for you. Definitely helpful for us. Then if you've been giving for a while, first of all, I want to just say thank you. Thank you for your continued faithful financial support that allows us to do the thing that God has called us to do. We couldn't do it without you. But maybe it's time to think about increasing that amount. If you give a flat amount each week or each month, it might be time to boost that a little. If you're a percentage giver, it might be time to tick that up a notch or two. If you're making more money today than you were five years ago, but you're still giving the same amount, probably time to re, uh, take another look at that, uh, with, to kind of recalibrate that. Here's the reality. This church, Faith Community Fellowship, will not flourish and thrive on $20 donations uh, here and there. And I know that's hard to hear, and I picked $20 kind of, out, of the, out of the air, but do the math. I mean, $20, $20 here and there from a handful of households does not pay the bills even come close. And I know this is nitty-gritty, very specific kind of stuff, but if you've got questions about how we spend our money or where does the money go then, Todd? What do you need the money for? Where, we, I would be happy to show you some numbers. We welcome that accountability. We just don't publish it on our website for the whole world to see. But you're a part of us. You can see those, that stuff, and I'd love to have that conversation with you. Uh, I just think until we're all giving, until we're feeling that at least a little bit, for some of us, until we're doing more than we're doing right now, for some of us, until we're giving more than the extra cash in our wallet on any given Sunday, if we remember to bring our wallet in from the car, until then, we will approach our role in this church as renters, as tenants, not as owners. And until we're thinking as owners, we're going to continue to hand off other responsibilities that God's called us to as well. Had enough of that? On ramp number four. <laughs> Who I have. I was sweating. Uh, <laughs> I'm, let's just, let's just uh, take a beat here and catch our breath. On ramp number four. <laughs> you think you don't like hearing it? How much do you think I enjoy talking about money? Uh, on ramp number four. <laughs> have you ever invited someone to church? How many of you have ever invited someone to church? I'm not saying they came, but you invited someone to church. Okay, good. That's good. That's awesome. Why is that such a difficult invitation to make? It is for all of us. It is for me. It is for you, it is for people who've been going to church for 30 years. It's just a difficult invitation to make. And one of the reasons it's really difficult for so many church people it's, and, and has been difficult for a lot of us for a lot of years is because we're a little bit worried. <laughs> we're worried it'll come on a Sunday like today, but we're worried that <laughs> we're kind of worried about what our friend will experience when they finally come to church. That's what we're really worried about. Because what if somebody says something and they think, I believe that. Here's something I believe to be true. I believe there are lots of people in our community, there are hundreds of people who would like to connect with God, but the church thing scares them to death. They tried that, they've been there, done it, grew up in it, bothers them, scares them, irrelevant to them. And their problem isn't, if they were to tell you, their problem isn't even so much with God as it is with the church. Maybe, in fact, for some of them, maybe they're people in your family, people you work with. They've been trying for years and years to figure out the God thing, and for one reason or another, they just don't want to do it through any church they know of. The interesting thing um, is when Jesus was on the earth, everywhere he went to teach, the unchurched, uh, the untaught, the doubting, the confused, the bitter, whatever, they flocked to hear Jesus teach. And even though he emerged as a religious leader and teacher, he didn't spend time with religious people. 
the irreligious people flocked to him, and the religious people were offended by him. And yet today, the average local church is just the opposite. The irreligious, unbelieving, doubting, bitter, confused people have no interest in the church. And the real tragedy is that the church was left here to function as if the church were Jesus himself. That's why the church is referred to as the body of Jesus in the New Testament. Why is it that the church over the years devolved into something that in many cases no, in no way resembles what we find in the person of Jesus? <clears throat> I have this concern about faith community. I'm concerned because here's what tends to happen. When a church develops environments that are no longer conducive, attractive, or helpful to unchurched people, unchurched people no longer show up. And when they don't show up, I have this sense that God is hesitant to show up too. Because he is as concerned, and you might even be able to use the Bible to say that he's more concerned about the outsider than the insider. About the lost person than the found person. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me and we're just going to wrap this up this way. The book of Luke, this is a very familiar story, it's been told a lot of different ways to make a lot of different points, but unlike a lot of passages of Scripture, we don't have to go very far to figure out what is the point of this story because Jesus kind of makes it very clear. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, people like us, muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So do you know, you want to know what Jesus did on this earth? He welcomed sinners and he ate with them. So if you're on the outside looking in this morning and you're not sure what you think of the whole Jesus slash church slash Bible thing and you're wondering, you know, what would Jesus think that you're even here this morning? Here's what he would do. He would welcome you, probably give you a side hug, and probably offer you a cup of coffee and a muffin. Verse 3. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Here's the principle. If something is lost, the lost thing becomes the focus of our attention, not the things that are safe and secure. When you lose something, that thing becomes the focus of your attention, not the things that are safe and secure. So Jesus says to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, you want to know why I'm spending so much time with these tax collectors and sinners and all these outcasts and lowlifes? Because they're lost. And just like you guys admit that you would chase down that one lost sheep. So I've come into this world for those who, from the Father's perspective, from the point of relationship with the Heavenly Father, are lost. Verse 5, when he finds it, talking about the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Then he tells another story about a woman who loses a coin. Then he tells this story, and even if you're not a church person, you've probably heard the story. He tells a story about a, a son who goes to his father, and he says to his father, Hey, Dad, how's it going? I wish you were dead. Because, like, no offense, Dad, but when you die, I get almost half your stuff, so that's going to be a good day. I wish you would go ahead and die so I can have your stuff. To which everyone in Jesus' audience was appalled, the nerve of such a man. And the father does, in the story does a strange thing, and he's like, Okay, son, I'll pretend like I'm dead. Let's say I'm dead. I'll go ahead and give you your inheritance right now. I'll play along. And in the story, the son takes his stuff, says, thanks, Dad. He hits the road, goes to the city, gets a big condo, buys himself a new car, surrounds himself with all a bunch of friends who aren't really his friends, and parties away all the money. 
or something like that. And word gets back. The father hears about it. The guy's brother knows about it. The whole family knows about it. And the whole community knows what he's done with his father's wealth. Then there's a famine in the, in the land, and the son has to go work on a hog farm, which to the Jewish audience was a big deal. This, what, these details are important. They all groaned when Jesus told them that part of the story. And one day the son realizes, this is terrible. What have I done? The Bible says that in that moment, he came to his senses. You've had those moments. The son decides to go back to the father. Verse 20, I'm going to pick up the story. So he got up, and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Why? Because he knew that his son wasn't just back physically, but that he was back relationally. And that was his desire all along. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, picture this, threw his arms around him and kissed him. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I knew where he was physically but relationally we were dead so they began to celebrate now if you're here today and, and you and god you, you you aren't real clear on where you stand let me just say this god would love to have you back and when you come back you won't find this an angry judgmental God who has a whole list of things that you've done wrong and make sure you know about it. You'll find the forgiving father with his arms outstretched who's running to meet you and says, I'm so glad you're back. Let's have a party. Isn't that awesome? Some of you have experienced that. In the local church that reflects the heart of the father is the local church that is mobilized and strategized around this concept. The local church that forgets that part of the Father's heart becomes a group of people that are just about being searchers who get together and never do any searching. I think there's an application here for those of us who have been found. And it's this. Have we joined our Heavenly Father on the search? Or are we just coming together to sit around the campfire, toasting marshmallows, singing kumbaya, and hoping everybody gets found somehow? Let's close in prayer. I wonder what God must think on a Sunday morning in America when he looks down and all the would-be searchers have gathered together, but as we leave, nobody does much searching. Because we're like, hey, I like being with these people. With the searchers. I, I used to hang out with the people who were lost, and I don't even really know where they are anymore uh, because I've replaced all those lost people with all of these searcher people from church. And us searchers, we just get together and we love to worship and sing songs and hear some teaching that might occasionally stir something in us. Some of us even listen to the podcast and read our Bible and take notes and talk it over in our small group. It's just awesome. But who's doing the searching? I just have this feeling that the groups of searchers that quit searching will eventually experience the absence of the one who has called us to be searchers. If God's chief concern for this time in human history is the lost and we don't show any interest in partnering with him on the search, why would he show up here? Years ago, in the early days of faith community, we used two words to remind us of what it is that God has called each of us to do. The way that we've said it here in the past, and we were going to keep saying it, is simply this, invest and invite. 
if we would always be intentional and carve out just enough time and energy to invest in at least one person in your life who's lost, who's living a life disconnected from their Heavenly Father. That's what we mean by that. If we would just invest a slice of our lives in people with the intention of bringing them to a place where maybe they can hear the gospel, where they begin to understand what God wants for them, that God loves them, that God wants them back, and how to have that kind of relationship that God wants to have. If we could simply do that, and I'm talking about in the context of relationships that you already have. I'm talking about when you pray at night, pray for opportunities, pray for boldness, pray for the doors to open so that you can be an influence in this individual's life. Name the person. Know who it is that God's calling you to invest in with the goal being that they come to know Jesus as their Savior and they'll know what it is to have a growing relationship with their Creator and Heavenly Father. I'm telling you, if we aren't intentional about this, we'll simply be groups of searchers who aren't searching and we'll miss out on the thing that God is so focused on. Everything we do this morning as a congregation in this setting, we'll be able to do better in heaven. Think about that. We'll sing better, thankfully. We'll worship better. We'll understand what God has to say better. We'll relate to one another better. Everything will be better. The only thing we won't have an opportunity to do is to search for the lost. So here's a challenge. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you've been commissioned as a searcher. So, are you searching? Or are you just enjoying hanging out around the fire with the would-be searchers? If we're going to be a church where God continues to feel free to show up, then we've got to continue to create environments. We've got to work on and improve some environments, do it in such a way that those who are lost and disconnected from God feel free to, to participate. That's why it's invest and invite. It's invest in a relationship and bring them into a place where they feel comfortable coming with you. Somewhere where they'll hear the gospel. Somewhere to be around other Christians. Somewhere to see the body of Christ functioning like Jesus intended. And walk and say, wow, I don't even know if I believe all that. I, I don't know why I got so excited about that stuff. I got some questions, but I enjoyed being with those people. I enjoyed that experience. It wasn't that offensive. I didn't feel as out of it as I expected. I kind of feel like I, I could fit in there. Would you do something for me for just a minute? Would you close your eyes? And, and, and I know, okay, we're talking about creating environments where people are welcome and feel comfortable and don't feel manipulated and don't feel like they're ever going to be asked to do anything weird. Having said that, would you close your eyes? <laughs> if I were you, I wouldn't because I don't play along with those things. But if you would just humor me, if you're comfortable enough with this, and I'll try not to look up and catch your eye, but you can stare at the floor if you want to. Just go with me with this for like a minute. I just want you to bring into focus someone you know who Jesus would say is lost. In terms of their relationship with God, in terms of their connection with their Heavenly Father, lost. That relationship just isn't there. They may even have been a religious person at some point, but right now in terms of them being connected with their Heavenly Father, they're certainly lost. Would you focus on them for just a minute? And would you be willing to commit this morning, I'm going to say for the next 14 months through all of 2019, to invest in this relationship with the goal of inviting them into an environment where they will hear the gospel, where they'll be given an opportunity to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It might be your home. It might be around your kitchen table. It might be a small group or a Bible study. It might be FCF youth or FCF parents. It might be here on Sunday morning. But would you do that? Because if we don't, we might as well just kind of pull the plug but if you do, who knows what God might do in and through this church? You can look up. 
here's the deal. We want this to be your church, a place where you can put your roots down spiritually, relationally, experientially. And it's, it's as if there are two paths before you. You can choose one path, which is kind of the same old, uh, you know, kind of safe, pretty easy, where you can just kind of keep coming to church on Sundays, most Sundays when it works for you, when it's convenient, you haven't got other things that, you know, you could do, and you can throw a few bucks in the box when you think about it, and maybe complain about some stuff to so people who, you know, will listen, and maybe, or maybe even help out now and then. Or you can choose a path that's extraordinary. You can choose a pathway to engagement through connecting, through serving, through giving, through inviting. And it's going to require some sacrifice, but at the end, there's so much blessing, there's so much value, there's such a return on your investment that is eternal. So I just want to challenge you, let's choose this extraordinary path, and let's do it together. Listen to this. 